This morning we're reading from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Uh, pray for me. Lord, uh, guide us now as we um, look into this very brief uh, but obviously a poignant uh, passage in light of uh, even the week that our city has had. Um, yeah, grant us the grace to receive uh, what you were giving the disciples in this moment, um, even if uh, it's hard, because uh, it is hard. So uh, we know that you love us, uh, and we know that uh, you, you want to draw us to yourself uh, in these times. So please do so uh, through this word in your name. Amen. All right. So yeah, um, we plan these sermon series like four months to six months out, so um, I will leave it in the sovereign hands of the Lord as to the fact that this is, happens to be the passage that we're reading and studying this week in light of uh, everything that's happened uh, in Nashville. Um, but we're in, this, we're in this series, I'll keep reminding us of this as we get into these, these passages, we're in this series called Meeting Jesus, right? That's why we're in the Gospels. And uh, we're starting to see a pattern here, and the pattern is this, that in almost every single encounter with Jesus, it leaves people... Um, asking a different version, or maybe for different reasons, a different version of the same question, which is this, and we see it again at the very end, who is this? Who is this that, in this instance, has this sort of power over the created world that he can speak to the wind and the waves and they go dead calm? Who is this? And I've been encouraging all of us that all of us um, we have to come to that point at some point in our lives. We have to answer this. And, and I would argue a lot of times um, storms like this, they, they bring us back to that, don't they? Who are you? What are you doing? Who is this Jesus? And we can't really be neutral about it. Um, you know, you can't listen to the things that Jesus claims about himself and that Scripture claims about him. You can't interact and see with the acts that Jesus performs, the miracles he's performed, and just be neutral about that. He's either crazy, uh, you know, he's a liar, as C.S. Lewis said, a lunatic, uh, or he's Lord. And so this story that is captured uh, by Luke, and it's also in Matthew and Mark, all, all the other synoptic gospels, um, captured this one story in, in slightly different ways. It's continuing to drive this idea home. That when Jesus initiates this um, night boat trip, right, 
across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples that turns into this massively traumatic moment for them. Um, it's, it's literally, I mean, we have that phrase, right? A come to Jesus moment. This is a come to Jesus moment in the moment. And what we see here is that they are full of fear, understandably so. And that certain type of fear or degree of fear is actually swapped for another by the end of the story. They're afraid of one thing, and then they're afraid in a different way by the end. So the three things I'm, I'm going to try to walk us through here. One um, is this. Uh, you can put it under this header, fear's invitation. Okay, Because in many ways, this, this uh, sermon and this passage is about fear. Fear's invitation. Secondly, faith deepened. And then thirdly, um, I hope to give us a couple really practical ways that we can actually come to Jesus in our fear. Not in spite of it, but in it, okay? All right, first thing, fear's invitation. Um, I, I probably don't have to say this, but I will say it, um, that, uh, that fear uh, is a real thing, isn't it? Uh, we all feel it. Often, uh, to different degrees, uh, it's an emotion, it's a natural, uh, psychological, physiological response to something, right? Uh, fight or flight is real, right? I always remember thinking of when the angels would either like, appear to people, Mary or others, and say, don't be afraid. I always thought that's so hilarious. <laughs> like, what do you expect? I mean, I think what they're saying there is, is don't become your fear, but they're not saying don't feel afraid. You're going to feel afraid, right? Fear's a natural thing, and, and often it's a good thing, right? Like, it can keep you from uh, making really bad decisions or bad mistakes, can it? I mean, it can, be, it, can be, it can be a very good thing. It also can be a bad thing. It can keep you from moving towards what you should, but like the fear of failure or the fear of what people think. But fear oftentimes is a very good thing. It keeps us from moving towards bad things, right? And these guys were pro-fishermen, right? This was their job, fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And so we know that the squall came up while they were out there, but if the squall had already been present, like if they were getting into the boat and the squall was happening, they likely would have never gotten into that boat. They would have tried... Like we do, I, I, I don't, I don't want to sail into the middle of that. We try to avoid these storms at all costs. Drowning would have likely been the number one fear, right, of a fisherman. I remember when I was in college, I actually, um, I don't know if they still do this. I mean, there's these shows, Deadliest Catch now. You guys watch these shows. I actually was doing research about going to work on an Alaskan fishing boat because there was this giant payoff of money, right? They're like, well, you can come out here for the summer and make $50,000. And then the, the fine print was, and you probably won't go home with that $50,000. Like, it's a super dangerous job. And the fear of that kept me from, and my mom from letting me <laughs> go do that, right? Fear is a natural thing. Oftentimes, it's a good thing. But nothing about the beginning of this trip gave them caution or hesitation. One day, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. I think the Sea of Galilee is like five miles wide by 13 to 15 miles 
long, roughly. So not huge um, in that sense. Let's go to the other side, and so they go. As they sailed, he fell asleep, right? So there's no hesitation, but you have to know something topographically about the Sea of Galilee that... um, and we see it here. I mean, it says there that a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was swamped and they were in great danger. Because of where the Sea of Galilee is, it's like 700 feet below sea level, which is kind of rare. And then it's surrounded by mountains. Um, and so the actual nature of the landscape there is, is kind of ripe for these things to happen. So this probably wasn't the first time that these guys had experienced uh, a squall coming down on the lake quickly. But they get in the boat, right? That's not what's happening. They get in the boat. Just another night, the squall rises quickly and things go from just another night to absolutely terrifying. Waves are swamping the boat, it says. And um, there's something else that's getting swamped right now. And it's this, the hearts of the disciples. There's a physical wave swamping the boat, and, and then there's this wave of fear that's swamping their hearts. And Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat. We could speculate on a lot of how in the world is Jesus asleep right now. I'm not going to do that this morning. We're going to talk about us and fear. The disciples woke him up. And said this, Master, Master, we are going to drown. Right? Master, Master, we're going to drown. And I want us to hear in that statement this. That's, that's what fear invites. Fear's invitation. Because this is often how fear works, isn't it? That it not only takes me and kind of swamps my heart in the moment, takes me captive in the moment, But it has me living into future realities and eventualities, right? We are going to drown. This is what's going to happen, right? Fear writes narratives, and sometimes, depending on how intense that fear is, they don't feel like possibilities. They feel like certainties, don't they? This is certainly what's about to happen. We're going to drown. We're going to die. And their fear of death is understandably, understandably swamping their hearts. But what I want us to see, and I want us to kind of posit ourselves into this, that, that even if we're not in a situation that's this clearly grave, fear always invites us to go somewhere to address our fear. I got to do something with it, right? It, it's like, um, did you ever have people that your parents didn't want you to ride with? <laughs> like, don't get in the car with that person because they probably are going to make bad decisions, right? Fears like it invites you to get in someone's car. <laughs> and that person's going to drive you somewhere, right? And that's either going to drive you to someplace good or someplace not good. It's always inviting us to go somewhere. And the question is where who I want you to think about this. Who do you? Where do you go with your fear? When you're feeling it the way that you're feeling it and experiencing it the way that you're experiencing it. 
It's powerful to listen to some of the Midtown East folks talk about being in the middle of that storm and how the Lord met them in the middle of that um, in an intense fear with their children. Um, but where do you go? Where do you go with your fear? Because it always invites you, puts you at a crossroads. Well, Jesus addresses their fear, I believe, how he does that in this story in order to do the second thing that I said we'd talk about, and that's this. I'm addressing your fear in the way that I'm addressing it to deepen your faith. It's not unlike the sower and the seed last week, right? The fear in many ways is good soil. It sounds counterintuitive, but when I'm feeling that fear, it's actually my heart is opened up for something to happen, right? We spend so much time trying to not be afraid rather than, okay, I am afraid. I feel afraid. It's natural. Okay, it's not wrong. It's not bad, but what do I, what do, I do with it? Jesus takes this moment, this good soil moment, and he's saying, I'm going to sink. You're not going to sink in the sea. I'm going to sink faith deep into you right now in this moment, Okay? So fear's invitation, where are you going to go with it? Well, Jesus says, well, you bring it to me, I'm, I'm taking your fear because I want to deepen your faith. So how do the disciples respond here? The disciples' response shows something that at least to some degree they had faith in Jesus, right? <laughs> I mean, granted, you know, he's the carpenter dude, right? So he's not the pro fisherman. They're the pro fisherman. They've probably been bailing at this point because they've probably experienced this before. So, but at some, on some level, they're showing, I have faith, and they know that Jesus has the ability to intervene in this situation, however he chooses to. They, they've probably exhausted all their options at this point, and they've at least seen, right, up until this point in Luke, we haven't even talked about some of these stories, they've seen him raise somebody from the dead at this point. Um, they've seen him heal plenty of people. They've seen him cast out demons. They've been a part of this miraculous catch of fish. So they've seen some stuff, right, at this point. And so they go to Jesus, and they're waking him up. And I love, I love the emotional realism. Um, we'll even talk about it here in a second. Because they're, they're painting themselves in a pretty bad picture. The disciples are, right? Like, they're admitting something here, and that is this, we were terrified, right? They're like little kids running into, like my children ran into my room last night, little kids running into their parents' room in the middle of the night, and they wake him up, and he gets up, and what does he do? It says there that he rebukes the storm. In Mark's account of this, he literally stands up, and he says this, quiet, be still. Like the the... One translator says it, it's like him standing up and saying, um, be quiet and stay quiet. So little kids running into parents' room in the middle of the night, and he rebukes the storm like a child. Be quiet and stay quiet. It's almost like he talks to the storm like it has a personality, right? He talked to it like it worked for him, and it obeyed him. Jesus supernaturally intervenes in power, and he shows in this moment um, 
I, I don't just cast out demons. I don't just heal a few people. I, I am literally the Lord over all of creation in this moment. Like Colossians says, in him all things hold together. And they are having a visceral, tangible experience of that in this moment. I'm Lord over creation. I am more powerful than the most powerful storm you've probably ever been in, disciples. And I am Lord right now over your physical protection in this moment. That's who I am. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to yank us just for a second out of this. This is one story in the Bible, right? We know the rest of the story. The rest of the story of many of these men. That many of these men would face eventually similar terrifying moments in their future. They would face more difficulty. They would face more storms. Many of them would not die in their sleep of natural causes, but die as martyrs. Jesus stops this storm in this moment. And he does it in many ways, I I believe, because he's deepening their faith because he knows you're going to face other storms. And how we see that, I think, in the text is this. It becomes very clear that instead of just relief, right? Oh, man, thank you. Calm. What is it replaced by? Their fear of the storm, it's one of the ironies of how they report this. It says, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, right? They had a certain degree or a certain type of fear, and it's now swapped for a different fear, right? The fear of the storm is now replaced with what Scripture would call the fear of the Lord, which Proverbs says is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, hope in the Lord, faith in the Lord, trust in the Lord, awe at the Lord. What the fear of the Lord is, is I feel small in your presence right now. Oh my goodness. They're no longer just afraid of the storm. It's been replaced with true fear of the Lord. And all might have been calm in that moment externally. You know, the, the words there for calm are literally, it's like dead calm. You guys have been at the ocean, right, when a, when a storm goes through? And, and the wind may even die down, but the water keeps coming, right? Like the waves are days and days. He spoke and it went like glass is what this says. Dead calm. Everything's calm externally, but internally, what? There's a new storm. There's fear and wonder and amazement. Their, their worry had transferred over to this awe and wonder. And they fear in a different way. And I love that Jesus challenges them here after he speaks and calms Everything, all was calm. He says, where is your faith? He asked the disciples. Now, there's a lot of speculation and, and dialogue about, is he shaming them in this moment? You know, is he, I can always hear someone's voice, <laughs> right? Uh, sorry, mom. But, you know, you know where, where is it at, you know? And I don't, I don't, I believe Jesus is challenging them in this moment. In an inviting way. 
He's doing it in love. I don't think he's shaming them. I think he understands what it means to be human and fear, fight and flight, all that. But he simply is asking them, do you see, where, where's your faith? In your fear, which is real, you hit this, this functional crossroads of, of maybe really seeing truly still, where is your faith? And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be brought to that moment. It's a gift to be brought to the moment of realizing, I may have a stated faith in Jesus, but my functional faith in Jesus, it's, it's maybe not as deep as I want it to be, or I believe it ought to be, or he wants it to be. It's a good thing. He's saying, come on, where's your faith? I'm leading you into deeper place, into deeper water. I love it that, it, that he didn't stop the storm because they had faith, you know? He didn't say, man, I see your faith, and so therefore I'm going to stop the storm. He dealt with the storm how he did to establish and to invite a deeper faith in him, a deeper trust in him. And he's, he's leveraging this storm. He's saying, I'm inviting you in the storm, not in spite of it. Sink into a deeper faith in me. Because sometimes I'm going to stop the storm to invite that, and sometimes he doesn't, does he? And that's the hard truth. There's a, there's a place, I was, I was thinking about this, where John the Baptist, it's reported on in Luke 7 and in Matthew 11, if you want to go read about this. John the Baptist, who was the one who heralded the coming of Christ, right? And who Jesus said, you know, effectively, there's no man born to a woman greater than this guy. Like, he's, he's the top, right? And he's in jail at this point. In Matthew 11, I'll read you some of this. He's in jail, and he sends some of his disciples to Jesus and basically says this, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? Now, he's in jail, and we know that later he's, he's going to be beheaded because a teenage girl, Herodias' daughter, asked for Herod to do it, and he did it. John doesn't get out of the storm. He dies. And John the Baptist, John the Baptist, I love it. It's such a, it's such a normalizing thing that if John the Baptist can say, hey, I, I, I thought you were the Messiah. Are, are we waiting on somebody else? That, that gives me so much comfort to be like, okay, my fear, my unbelief, my doubt, man. It's It's normal. Sometimes he doesn't stop the storm. What does Jesus say? He says, go back to John and tell him what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Good news is proclaimed to the poor. I'm doing all this stuff out here for everyone else. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. I'm doing all this out here, and yet in your life, John, you're going to struggle to not stumble because I'm you're going to die in this prison. Blessed are they who don't fall away on account of me. I'm going to handle things in ways that are going to confuse you and confound you. Blessed are they who don't fall away on account of me. 
He goes on to praise John's faith in that moment because I think what he's doing is he, he's, he's throwing logs in the fire and saying, brother, I'm deepening your faith and I'm working in this in a way that you can't understand and see right now. He's inviting us to a deeper faith in this storm, learning to trust him, his heart for us in the storm. So I'll ask you this. This is another thing to reflect on this week. Where is Jesus calming the storm and where isn't he? Because sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. And is that driving you to him? Or is that driving you away from him? I love it that the disciples report in all of their messiness and fear, the pro-fishermen, they at least ran to him, right? I'm going to him. And all of the chaos and all of the fear and all the fear of the natural storm, I'm going to run to him in that. And would you have faith, would you dare to believe that how Jesus does or doesn't respond in that moment to you that he's doing all of that to deepen your faith and trust in him. Because it takes faith to believe, doesn't it? So let's talk for a second. Let's talk practically about what does it mean to go go to Jesus, right? Um, I hope this will be really practical. These These are some things that I would tell you are things that the Lord has um, given me in um, my own personal experience of having to face my fear and be honest with how afraid I am. Because um, we don't, you know, it's like, okay, wake up, wake up. <laughs> uh, we, we may not be facing a storm like this one. We know that there are people, there are many people in our city who have faced something, I mean, almost exactly like this. But anybody who wants to follow Jesus um, if you're going to be a disciple of his and follow him in this life, you are going to face many storms. And you are going to have many moments where it feels like Jesus is completely asleep in the stern of the boat. One of, I think it's in Mark's account, or maybe Matthew's, where one of the things that the details they add is, is they say, don't you care? He says, the disciples say to him, don't you care that we're going to drown? You know, I love it that they're the ones reporting that because they're, they're saying, I, I was distrustful of the heart of God towards me. I'm confessing that. We're all going to have those moments. I've had many of those moments where I feel like, God, have you, you are asleep at the wheel. You are checked out. You don't care. Even though he's told me really clearly, he's told us really clearly Many times in the Gospels, John 16 is one of them. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But I'm giving you something. I want you to take my heart, my peace I give you. Take my heart, and I want you to bring that into the present in the middle of that trouble because trouble does not mean you do not love me. Trouble does not mean you're going to be tempted. Fear is going to tempt you to get in the car and go a different direction. But it does not mean I do not love you. It does not mean you are not with me. It does not mean that your promises are not true. But fear, man, fear, she throws you in that car and says, let's get out of here. He's asleep at the wheel. All of us 
are going to experience those moments. And all of us, one day, and there are people in our congregation, there are people in our church who are actually going to face the fear that these men are facing this moment, and the fear of actual death. And up until that moment, where you and I are really faced with our mortality, we're going to be faced, up until that moment, with many little deaths along the way. Scripture says that all of creation is in bondage to decay. This is falling apart right now. And that ain't a joke. It is. I'm losing, we're losing our health. We're losing our abilities. We're losing and, and being faced with our limitations, our influence, our beauty, our strength, our relationship. Those are all deaths that all of us are going to face along the way until we face that final death. And I want to give us some encouragement and the disciples sharing their unbelief and their fear in this moment uh, is inviting us to, to two things. One, to be very gentle with ourselves. I love that they report this stuff because it's saying, be gentle with yourself. You're human. Uh, the Lord knows how hard this is. and He isn't ashamed of you for feeling like it's hard. And secondly, they're saying, bring that fear to him and see what he can do with it. So how, how do we bring that fear to him? These are two really practical things. I hope they make sense. If not, you can ask me about them later. The first one is this. Um, our home was affected in the flood. Um, not as much as many, but more than most. And um, every time it rains hard, uh, I get texts from some of my friends in here, like, dude's your house okay? Dude's the creek okay? Dude's your house okay? Because our house was really hurt by it. And um, about a year after the flood, one night it was raining really hard, and I woke up to the rain, and here's the, here's the sentence I had in my mind. I said this, here we go again. And I started having a panic attack, I didn't know that's what was happening. But I ended up, I didn't wake Emily up. I ended up in the living room on the floor, like fetal, just saying Jesus' name over and over. And oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. For like two hours. Almost woke her up thinking, I think I'm having a heart attack. Like, I don't know what's going on, but I am freaked out right now. <clears throat> so in that moment, I mean, obviously, that's, that's real. That's happening um, when I say the word, I've got a mentor who, who we built a list of words that I'm eliminating from my vocabulary. And one of the words is again. Because in that moment, in all that panic and all that fear, my fear took me to the past, what had happened, to determine my present and my future, right? Here we go again. And when you take the word out, here we go again, you take again out, you have this sentence, here we go. Here we go. This isn't the past, this is today and the Lord is with me in today. And because he is with me, 
I, I can come to him and I can allow him to deal with the storm that is going on inside of me, even though I don't know what he's going to do with the storm that's going on outside of me. And it says when we come to him that, that perfect love, John, 1 John says this, 1 John 4, 1 John 4 says perfect love drives out fear. I love that it's, it doesn't say it like expels it once and forever. He literally, he has to drive it out all the time. He has to speak to the storm all the time because the storm is going to come again and again and again, just like the squalls that came up daily on the Sea of Galilee. I've got to drive it out. But again, again is getting into fear's car and saying, I'm going with fear <laughs> without Jesus. I'm going back into the past, into the storms that I've already experienced to determine what's happening right now and what's going to happen. So the first really practical thing I would say is, is part of coming to Jesus in our fear is, is getting rid of the word again. Here we go. You're with me. Where do you want to go? I know that whatever we go into, I'm going with you. Secondly, when we bring it to him, when we say, here we go. Secondly, um, I'm going to suggest this, that we ask for the grace to make our fear obey him. When he stands up to the storm, he says, be still. Quiet. Right? It might be a little bit of a stretch, but I want you, I want you to go there. That, that we either obey our fear or our fears obey Jesus. It's one or the other. A lot of days for me. 2 Corinthians 10 says this, Take every thought captive. Take all of those feelings, all of those thoughts captive, and make them obedient to Christ. Earlier in chapter 9, it says what that obedience is, is it makes it, make it obedient to our confession of the gospel of Christ. And what is the gospel? Like, what does it mean if the storm obeys him? What, what does it mean to say to my fear, my fear, obey him? Obey Jesus. Obey the gospel in this moment. Well, the gospel is this, that the largest storm the one that has sunk the world, sin, that, that he has come and has done something that we're going to celebrate fully at Easter to definitively stop it and its fallout. I've come to quiet the storm that no one else could quiet. And in love and with the joy set before him, which is us, he took the storm of God's judgment upon himself, and he says this, I'll be sunk for you. I'll be sunk to calm the ultimate raging sea and to end the chaos that sin brought into this world once and for all. That's why in Revelation, it says there will be no more sea because the sea was the picture of chaos for these people. It's not talking about not actually having water. I hope there's water in heaven. I love water. It's talking about there won't be any more chaos. And why? Because he said, I will take upon that storm upon myself. That's one you can't bear. And when I, I bring my fear to that truth and I bring it to him, he says, make all of your fears obey that reality. 
let, put, put that fear under the fear of the Lord that said, I will be torn apart and sunk for you. And as a result, nothing can separate you from the love of God and nothing can separate you from the promises of God that are yes in Christ. So when I bring my fear to Jesus, he says, it's not here we go again, it's here we go. <laughs> what are you doing? And he says, make that fear obey me. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Even when the storm suggests he's not, be still and know that I'm God. All right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this word. Even thank you uh, for how hard it is to just wrestle with this word in the light of this week. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we see clearly that fear... Um, Teach us, Lord, where, where our fears, uh, what neighborhoods they take us to, the bad places they take us to uh, instead of you. Would, you. would you bring us to you? Would you give us the grace to run to you like kids with our fear that our faith and our trust in you may be deepened, um, even in the middle of that storm, Lord? And would you teach us, what, is, what does that look like, Lord, uh, to, to, to bring our fear to you that it might obey you? And that you might quiet and still us like a weaned child with his mother, you say in your scriptures. Like a weaned child, Lord, would you, would you still our souls? This we pray in your name. Amen.